entering the Freedom Hut. Lockdown pushback begins across the country. L.A. bans outdoor dining. Oregon wants you to call cops on COVID violator neighbors. The vaccine is coming soon. And when will the Trump legal team release the Kraken? This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Well, we're finally there. We are at the point here where it's clear to everybody that the government's plan to protect you from COVID is to just keep piling nonsensical rules atop nonsensical rules to demand that you ignore the hypocrisy that is going on, to demand that you pretend that they've told you things in the past that were correct and true. Now it's what? They're going to fiddle with the numbers a little bit? You've got cases rising across the country. What's really the plan here? I think finally, Americans are starting to see and they're starting to understand that this is not going to get better until we tell the government enough is enough. This isn't just going to go away. They're not going to give back your freedom. They're not going to allow you to live your life again. You may say, oh, Buck, but what about the vaccine? And to that, I would tell you, well, the vaccine isn't going to be the end of this for the government because the vaccine's not 100% effective. They're going to continue this on deep into 2021. You're hearing from Democrat politicians increasingly that even if it's 90% effective and even if 70 or 80% of the population gets it, even at that point, you're not 100% safe from the Rona. You could still get COVID-19, so you don't get to have your life back. You don't get to have back your freedom. And so then that raises some very interesting questions, doesn't it? When do we say mass compliance is our uh, non-compliance is our only answer? When do we say we just simply refuse? Right? We have been complying for months and months, and now here we are seeing the sum total of what the lockdowners, the mask shamers, what have they pulled together for a program here as we're about to enter these winter months across the nation what are they saying that they they want to do to protect us right what are the claims that they are making that will somehow make you safe they don't have anything they don't know other than what they've been doing which hasn't been working or this is one of the great lies of the biden campaign that if if only we listened to the scientists everything would be so much better the scientists that they're talking about have no idea how to make all of this better. All they do is keep repeating themselves. It's not changing anything. There is no perfect mass compliance. There is no perfect social distancing. The virus still continues to spread. In California, let's go through some of the examples here. In California over the weekend, they decided that they're locking down outdoor dining now for three weeks. So it was that you couldn't eat indoors. And there is a scientific basis, at least, for saying indoor transmission of a virus. Indoor transmission is a bigger risk. There's no evidence to suggest that outdoor transmission is a considerable enough risk to mandate the kinds of or to necessitate the kinds of mandates that we've had. And yet they're doing it anyway. Why are they doing this? 
because more restrictions on your life, more separation of you from the rest of your fellow human beings, including with prohibitions on Thanksgiving gatherings. That is the only answer they have. There's nothing else. Wash your hands, social distance, wear a mask. We've been doing that. It's not working. Mask compliance is higher than it's ever been. We've been social distancing for months. And yet the the cases now, they never said that it would go to zero, but the cases are spiking, folks. The numbers are jumping across the country. So why is that happening? We're entering the winter season. There's a seasonality of these viruses. Isn't it fascinating that also we're led to believe that this virus, COVID-19, is somehow the one respiratory virus for which asymptomatic transmission is the main method of main method of spread. This is what we're told now. It's, it's the asymptomatic or at least half of cases are, are from asymptomatic spread. They're just estimating that. And they're also ignoring a uh, nature. The journal Nature published a Chinese study of thousands and thousands of people in Wuhan that found 300 individuals with asymptomatic cases. They tested over 1,100 of their close contacts. Not a single one of them had COVID-19. So 300 people, they, they test and traced everybody who lived with them and was around them. No transmission. But you won't hear about that. In fact, if I try to tell you about that on Facebook or Twitter, I'll get dinged. I'll get banned. I'll get throttled, whatever. It's just the truth. I'm just telling you things that are true. But now you're seeing that there is a totalitarian impulse at work here. Now you're understanding, I think. I think the American people, if they weren't already seeing it, as I know a lot of you were, are understanding this is about so much more than just a virus. This is about our relationship with the government. This is about the ways that the state can control people and can transform society in the process. You don't think there are a lot of people that view that as an opportunity? You don't think there are a lot of people that view this as a chance to enact their policy whims and also to create a perception among the American people that if they listen and do what they're told, they'll be safe and everything will be better. And the demagogues out there use the frightened mob to coerce and threaten and shame free thinkers into compliance. That's where we are. That's what's happened. Now, remember, this is about government action and government mandates. Whatever you think you need to do to protect yourself, whether that's Staying home, triple masking, wearing goggles. That's that's your call. You have plenty of information. There's so much uh, knowledge and data out there right now about different ways you can try to mitigate the spread. Will that will that all work at the end of the day? Maybe, maybe not. But do what you can for yourself that you think whatever you think is necessary. But that's not what's happening here in the state of Oregon. The governor there, Kate Brown, is telling people that they should call the police on Thanksgiving gatherings that exceed whatever the allowable number of people is today. And remember, the number keeps changing. Is there any science to determine what that number is? No, they're just saying, yeah, we think this is the right number. Is there any science to determine that outdoor dining in California should be banned for three weeks? Can't sit outside and eat a meal. So you can't go to a takeout place and and sit at their benches out front. No, that's too dangerous. Too dangerous for getting the Rona. This is what they're saying. And yet we know that the governors who push this stuff the most violate their own orders and they don't care. Um, They know that we know that 
this continues to play out in the press where they've created a perception that Donald Trump is somehow responsible for all this. It's all Trump's fault, you see. And Trump supporters, they weren't wearing masks enough. Well, somehow here we are. Greater mask compliance than ever before. 80 to 90 percent nationwide for uh, for indoors and for most of the situations where we'd be required to wear them. And yet, does it really seem to be slowing down the caseload anywhere? Now, there's cases, there's positive tests, and then there's hospitalizations and deaths. These things all get uh, commingled. And that's also not helpful to this conversation, to this discussion. But ultimately, we need to start boiling this down to very simple, very straightforward truths. Ultimately, this should be about things like we are Americans. We want to celebrate Thanksgiving and be with our families. It could happen that you will get COVID-19 if you do that. That is, it also could happen that you will get COVID-19 for walking into the elevator in your building or going to the grocery store. It could. And if that's not the case, then why are we wearing masks when we do those things? Obviously, it could happen. Living your life means you are at risk of getting this disease. The good news is that the chances of you surviving, in fact, the chances of you not even knowing you have it are very high. And the chances of you surviving if you're not a senior citizen with comorbidities is so is so good that you should have very little concern about this. You really should have no concern at all. But we have to start thinking about this in terms of freedom, freedom versus tyranny. Do you want the government to be able to tell you that your business has to be shut down because they say so? That's what they're doing. They don't point. There's no data. There's no uh, there's no answer to why they're doing this or even where they get the power. They've flipped quarantine, which has been for sick people, the sick, and made it a quarantine of all of society. We call that lockdown. We accept this. I'm happy to see that in some states and places like New York City, even there are people finally gathering to say no more, no more, because they realize that if we go into a long winter and we allow these petty tyrants, if we allow these idiot bureaucrats to just make diff- make decisions and tweak things all along the way, you know, to come up with whatever their policy feels like it should be today, they're going to destroy whole industries. They're going to dramatically increase depression and suicide and alcohol and drug abuse all throughout the winter for millions and millions and millions of people. And they don't really take all this stuff as seriously as they pretend to. We know they're hypocrites, whether it's Cuomo in New York or Newsom or Whitmer or Lori Lightfoot. Go down the list. Huge advocates for this. Nancy Pelosi, Dianne Feinstein. They break their own rules as soon as they think nobody's looking. Oh, but they're also worried about this. Look at all of the members of Congress. Look at all these people who, in the case of Congress, you got a lot of people that are not just senior citizens. They're deep into their seniors. Nancy Pelosi's almost 80. Do you think they're living in fear? No, but they want you to live in fear. And they want to give government authorities the ability to make sure that even if you think that it's crazy, you still have to do this stuff. Deal with it. Bend the knee. We can either say no or we can allow the tyranny to continue. Those are the options. Mass noncompliance, pushback from people in cities and states across the country to say, This is unacceptable. Law enforcement officers, and you're seeing more of this, who point out that they will not be a tool for this oppression. They're not going to do it. 
If people want to gather on Thanksgiving, this is still America. They're allowed to. We do not live. Every aspect of our lives is not at the whim of government bureaucrats and elected officials. That's not that's not what we signed up for. And that's not what our Constitution allows for. So have we finally understood here as a country? Are we finally waking up to this? There are leftists. There are libs who like this. I understand that they're never going to change. They think they're in some great struggle by by mask shaming the occasional person going for a jog outside by himself. They think they're saving millions of lives because they're morons. And they also believe that the planet is going to end unless we control CO2 emissions from 20 percent of the world's population. It's not going to happen. Right. But they still believe these things. You are seeing this is increasingly like a religious cult. There is a a covid lockdown cult that has grown all across the country. People don't want to be wrong, so they won't admit they were wrong. And people also like to be told what to do. They like a government that's in charge of everything. It absolves them of responsibility for their own screw ups. And it makes them feel like they're safe and fed and warm and everything's going to be fine. But that's not the truth. The government is doing a lot of damage with all of these mandates. The government is hurting people in the name of helping them. And it's not going to stop until we, the people, say, you're not allowed to do this anymore. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What do I mean by pushing back? What does it sound like? What does it look like? Well, over the weekend, video was circulating from a, a business in Buffalo, New York, where a health inspector showed up at a, at, a, at a private business operating on an anonymous tip about too many people inside without a mask on. And I got to tell you, I, I was so proud. Yes, proud to be an American because of what the business owners said. They stood their ground and the little health department bureaucrat realized, uh oh, we got a problem here. Play it. You don't get to subvert the Constitution. Go get a warrant. You see, the health department inspectors are used to just being able to show up and, you know, do whatever they want, I guess. They had sheriffs, uh, sheriffs or sheriff's deputies with them. But the business owner said, no, you're not. Allowed, we, don't, we don't want you. You're not allowed here acting on an anonymous tip. Think about that. Just just play this one out in your head. A- any business that I don't like, if they ever gave me cold pizza at a place down the street, I can call in the health department and say, yeah, I saw too many people not social distancing inside. And then law enforcement's going to show up and, and they can go through the whole place. 
and inspect the whole premises based on on that? Not on, hey, they're selling drugs or no, no. I saw a lack of social distancing. I saw somebody without a mask on. What law is this based on? And, you know, at some point you also get to the law of sanity. I don't care what these bureaucrats say. I don't care what the governor says about some BS executive order. We do not live in a totalitarian society where you can tell people how they can breathe, which is what they're doing. We do not live in a society where you can tell people they cannot see their loved ones on a holiday or any day for that matter. This is a time in our country we need to start embracing at least the mentality, if not the form, of four-letter words expressed loudly and in unison toward government authorities who are trying this crap. I guess technically that's a four-letter word. Enough is enough. You can either agree with that and start to take actions on that, or you can think that this is still all about Trump somehow. Really? There are lockdown protests going on in European countries. There was a lockdown protest here in New York City over the weekend. Thank God. We need a lot more of that. And it's about Trump still? Trump right now is focused on continuing to be president and fighting this legal battle in the courts for an election that's not over. These state and local COVID lockdowns are not about Republican or Democrat. It's about whether or not we live in a free society. It's about whether or not we're in a circumstance where we still get to determine our fates and our future. I'm still appalled, honestly, that we've gotten to this point with so many people. They've just the media, mass media, social media. We live in a time of mass hysteria and mass media, and the results are terrible. Because everyone's so frightened all the time now because of what they're seeing on their phones and the news headlines and the stories. They don't stop to think, what am I gaining by listening to these people? Have they earned my trust? Have they earned the right to dictate every aspect of my life to me because they say they'll keep me safe? They're not going to keep you safe. It's all a lie. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Am I exaggerating the desires of Democrats here? Am I pretending like they want things that they don't or that they're holding positions that they, they really don't? Uh, well, let's listen to one of the most powerful Democrats in the country right now explain what the new standard is for you getting your life back, getting any aspect of your life back right now during this time of the COVID pandemic. Here's Nancy Pelosi, Play 16. We should be having the resources to make sure that the vaccine is distributed immediately, equitably, so that everyone has access to it. In that regard, though, for that to happen, the president must, must, must implement the Defense Production Act so that those companies, those entities that are used to this new technology that both um, Pfizer and Moderna have used can, can undertake making this, uh, this vaccine more available because we're going to need quite a bit for ourselves. And for the world, because unless everyone is safe, as I said, no one is safe. Unless everyone is safe, no one is Do you hear that? Unless everyone is safe, no one is safe. What is that? 
everyone is never going to be safe. Everyone is never going to be safe from this virus. They're never going to be safe in terms of overall health risks. And the government is in no position to to destroy or eliminate those risks entirely. The the COVID-19 vaccine is not 100 percent perfect, not 100, not 100 percent of people will get it. There there could be mutations of COVID in the future. So what I'm trying to tell you, which is the truth here, is that either we understand that there is allowable, acceptable risk in society that freedom necessitates or we're living in some covid health totalitarianism. That's it. And I think everybody intuitively understands that they know that, but we've forgotten it during this period. We've reached this other place where we think, oh, well, I guess we'll wait until they tell us it's safe. That's never going to happen, really. Jim Jordan, one of my uh, you know, favorite members of Congress, I can say it. Jim Jordan is out there making the case. He's saying this is just my friends. This is wrong. What's going on right now with these anti Thanksgiving travel, uh, not just the prohibitions uh, on the gatherings, but the CDC saying don't go anywhere, don't travel, don't live your life. Who do they think they are? I mean, really, I want to say, who the bleep do they think they are? What is going on? This is the biggest challenge we face right now from a policy perspective. I know we still have this legal fight going on over the election, and I'm happy to see that the the team is still digging in and going to get to the truth. We absolutely need answers. We need to use this process to the fullest possible extent to make sure that only legal and every legal ballot is counted. But in the meantime, we still got a big problem as a nation that's not going to get better anytime soon. This doesn't have a three week expiration or a you know, two month expiration. This is going to go on deep into 2021. And that's why I'm happy to, that Jim Jim Jordan at least is out there saying this is crazy. Play eight. It's ridiculous. In Ohio, you now have to be in your home by 10 o'clock. In Pennsylvania, when you're in your home, you have to wear a mask. And in Vermont, when you're in your home, you don't have to wear a mask because you're not allowed to have friends over to your home. I mean, this, <laughs> this has gotten so ridiculous. And, and we forget this is America. I mean, I go back to when the first lockdown happened, uh, the, the Attorney General of the United States sent out a memo to all U.S. attorneys. This is back in April of this year. Sent out a memo to all U.S. attorneys. A lot of important things he discussed in there, but near the end of the memo had a great line. He said, the Constitution is not suspended during a crisis. And amen to that. And we need to remember that. In fact, I would argue the Constitution is most important when you're dealing with something unique, something big like this. So uh, this is as wrong as it gets. Yeah. Uh, it's as wrong as it gets. And I, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. I wish that I wish that Trump would use the megaphone a bit more on this on this issue. I know he's focused in on the election, but this really matters. They used covid panic to change the whole election system. They used the fear that the public had around covid, the irrational level of fear to make these very changes so that they could try all the shenanigans so they could try the steal in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Georgia. It was all based in covid. I've been trying to tell people all along. Stop with the Hunter Biden. Start focusing on covid and this need that we have to reestablish freedoms as Americans and to deal with this this insanity that's going on. Oh, no, you know, we're going to 
Well, we're going to just wait for the Durham probe. That's going to save us all. The Durham probe, any minute now, is going to sweep in there like the cavalry at the end of an old Western. I mean, it's just not going to happen. But they got away with it. They got away with misrepresenting this and and creating a narrative that was used against against Trump. I mean, here's Joe Scarborough just straight up saying Trump is responsible for all the people who's, who have died at this place seven. I don't know if it matters to the Republicans at all, but that the backdrop to this is very bad short-term news on the coronavirus and the numbers they, surging they all over care. the place. And care. the president tweeting all weekend long about himself and about the election he wants to steal. That's who they're they aligning with. They don't with. care about all the people dying. So there was break. They, they really, because if they did... <laughs> They would let Joe Biden start working I, his transition so they could start getting the, the vaccines ready and they could make up a plan to distribute vaccines from across the, to, across the country yeah. to 300 million people to get the economy started again, mm-hmm. to get the economy started again. But they don't care. This is all about Donald Trump. People calling into Rush Limbaugh saying they're ready to die for Donald Trump. Really? Is this Jonestown? Well, people are dying. Really? Yeah, you, you don't have to say you're willing to die for Donald Trump because hundreds of thousands of people already have died because of Donald Trump, and it's only going to get worse. I mean, the TV executives who put this more on uh, Scarborough and his, his wife after he left his other family and she left her family because they're working together, and you know, uh, that, his, that, that put him on air so he can say things like the president's responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths how is it possible to be such an idiot? I mean, to, to really have such uh, either low intellectual capacity or to be of such low character that you'll say things that are so obviously not true, not fair, inaccurate. How many deaths would there have been if Joe Biden were the president during this? Let's just let's just deal with this for a second. How many deaths would there be if Joe Biden were in charge? Can they give us an estimate? I would have worn a mask. I would have hid. No joke. In the basement with my mask on, wearing a mask. Here you go. Here's the guy that would have been the great savior. He would have saved 250,000 lives if only he had been in charge the last uh, last 11 months or so. Here's Joe Biden. Play clip one. They talked about that in some detail. Thirdly, we discussed the need to help states with Title 32 funding for the National Guard. That's a fancy way of saying governors. Governors need to be able to get funding when they just when they dis, they need to uh, and, and bring, bring their National Guard into play. And National Guards are going to have to play this. It costs a lot of money. It's just another fancy way of the government. There's, uh, you know, a thing with a... Uh, oh, yeah, he's a genius. He would have had a great leadership. Would have listened, listened to the science. He would have had to listen to the science, I suppose, in the beginning when Fauci was saying, don't wear a mask, which we all know he said. I'll probably get censored for that. I'm getting dinged on Facebook for telling you things that are factually accurate now. But they have fact checkers say that it lacks context. That's the new game. Lacks context is a way of saying, I don't like these facts you're presenting, and I have other facts that I like better. So I'm going to say this lacks context and therefore is misleading. This is, this is the little totalitarian censorship game that the biggest and most powerful companies in the world right now are playing on behalf of the collectivists, on behalf of the left. That's what's going on. That's right, though. Put, put Joe Biden in charge. All of our problems would just melt away. I mean, Scarborough here saying that we don't care about people dying. No, we very much care about people dying. But they're the ones who are claiming that everything will be better if we just do what they say. We've been doing what they say. 
That's what has been happening. We've been listening to them. We've been listening to the science. All the data supports this. All the evidence we have supports this. And they just don't want to they don't want to ever face the reality that they've been spewing lies this whole time. All we have to do is the following and the virus will go away and it's on us. And we're 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 going to save ourselves if we just do the right thing. What are, are they toddlers? Are they are they repeating some song they were taught at a, at a day camp for 10 year olds? Well, what who could believe this stuff? All we have to do is wash our hands and wear a cotton mask and everything's going to be fine. They said Trump's responsible for 250,000 deaths. That's what Scarborough, uh, Scarborough and, his, and his wife are saying. So what exactly, what exactly uh, am I missing here? He's responsible for all the deaths. So clearly all we, we, would, we would have zero deaths, unlike Europe and all these other countries. Zero deaths from this. If only we'd listen to Fauci. This is idiocy. This is intellectually indefensible, but their hatred of Trump clouds everything else. I, this isn't even about Trump for me. That's why I'm so... I'm so dug in on this issue. It's not about Trump. It's about the country. And it's about whether or not people believe that we are a free people or not. They have taken away our freedoms. They have violated the Constitution. You either have a problem with that or you don't. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. have some realities that uh, are stark. Number one, the weather is colder. We're living a lot more of our lives indoors. Uh, there's, there's real pandemic fatigue and a lot of transmission behind private doors. So we have surgically gone after cutting indoor dining at 10 p.m., lowering indoor gathering limits to 10 people. We've amped up enforcement, but there is only so much you can do. So we're pleading with people, keep Thanksgiving really small, immediate family, don't travel, and don't let your guard down just because you're at home. Yeah, we just heard that police chief say he's not going to enforce these new rules. Anything you can do about that? Listen, I heard him say I don't want to ruin anyone's Thanksgiving. Um, and that gentleman, I believe, is, is, is an outlier. Uh, what would really ruin your Thanksgiving if somebody gets sick and, and God forbid, dies? So uh, we got to do everything we can. But there's a huge amount of burden here on personal responsibility and doing the right it's the governor of new jersey just falls back on the same thing every time do what we say or you'll die meanwhile doing what they say doesn't prevent the spread of the virus i did indoor dining over the weekend in new york city let, let me let me explain to you a little bit of what that's like with my brother who has moved to texas and loves it by the way so there's that he's in austin so klbj fam you've got a sec you've got a sexton in your midst now he absolutely loves it there. Uh, but he was he was in uh, visiting for the holidays and we went out to dinner. We had a, a bro dinner and we arrive at the restaurant and I have we have to wait outside. So we're we're waiting. So there's about 20 people that were all waiting for tables at this restaurant. We're all waited. Uh, but we're really kind of waiting in this confined area. We all have our masks on, but it is outdoors. This is after they take our temperature. Now, remind uh, just as a reminder, you often can have covid and not run a temperature. But they take your temperature. OK, so they say that's a little precaution. But we're all standing outdoors uh, without masks on. And then we all go inside and sit. I'm sorry, with masks on. And then we all go inside and take our masks off and sit in an enclosed room together. What are we doing? Who, who think who wants to? And these are the rules. We're, we're doing this, you know, and, and we don't touch menus. Oh, because if we touch menus, that's how we're all going to get sick. So we have to do this little virtual menu thing. Well, are these restrictions good enough that it's safe or not? Because if they're good enough, why are we going to shut down indoor dining? 
You know, you can see you could have endless iterations of this. Do a little more, do a little more, a little more restriction, a little bit more the government telling you what's acceptable. You, you can't go out and go to the grocery store twice a week. You got to go once a week, maybe maybe once every other week. Do you want to die? Do what we say. You're going to die. This is what they're telling you. I mean, I'm not making this up. I'm playing the clips where you can hear government officials saying this. Do what we say you're going to die. Meanwhile, we're doing what they say, and the virus is spreading all over the place. And a vast majority of people who get this, that's not even that doesn't even begin to cover it. Less than one percent of people who get this actually die from it. So they act like if you get this, it's a death sentence and that's crazy. But that's the way to get to keep people in fear. That's the way to have people who are willing to obey this stuff. They want to send people in to to, uh, arrest you for having folks in your home over a holiday. That's the plan, right? And Pelosi said it very well. Nobody is safe until everybody is safe. The government will let you know when there's 100% safety from this virus. Until then, you do what the government says or you're killing people. This is the standard they've set up. You see it. You see it happening all over the place. The only reason they don't tell us all you cannot leave your homes on pain of arrest is that then finally, I think people would say, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. That's too far. <laughs> You're going. That's not an acceptable level of lockdown, but we should be at that mentality. We should have been at that a long time ago. Governor Abbott of Texas, who's been OK on covid, not great, not great. But at least he understands that what the governor of Oregon is saying, that you should call the police on your neighbors for gathering for Thanksgiving. Think about how toxic this is going to be because people will do it. There are lunatics out there who will do this. They'll say, oh, gosh, you're putting me at risk. My mask protects me. Your mask protects you. You know, nonsense like that. Play 18. Uh, Governor, before you go, uh, the governor of Oregon, uh, a woman by the name of Kate Brown, says, hey, if you see anybody breaking any of our state suggestions and guidelines, call the cops. Is that the way uh, they should handle that? Call the cops if you see somebody walking around with no mask? I got to tell you, I think they may have some Fourth Amendment based challenges there. But also, I have to point out the irony. If I understand correctly, uh, Oregon just legalized heroin and maybe cocaine. Yes. And so it's okay to have heroin and cocaine, but not turkey for Thanksgiving. That is un-American. It just does not make sense. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search and seizure shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause. Gathering with your family on Thanksgiving is not probable cause of the commission of any crime. This is unconstitutional. They do not have the right to do this. Don't let them continue to threaten you and to create all this fear so that you forget that what they're doing is wrong. These are government powers that are undermining the very basis for government's authority, which comes from the Constitution. That's what's happening right now all across America. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Never trust a lib, or any politician for that matter, but never trust them when they tell you that whatever they're doing, they're doing it for the children. This is what we'll always hear. Oh, I'm doing it for the children. Really? Hmm. 
Where's the best example of that that you can see in our society, in, in our political debates? Where is it always about the kids, but it's actually not about the kids at all? Some of you are probably already thinking what the answer is, and you're getting it right. Teachers unions. Ah, yes. Public sector unions that are the beating heart of the donations and political mobilization and machinery of the Democrat Party. Teachers unions, uh, which are all about very low show jobs for adults and not about making things better for kids. Why am I bringing this up? Well, here is a uh, a a social worker talking about how in Hillsborough County they're missing in, the, in that school district 7,000. Uh, this is in, in Florida, in a large school district. They're missing 7,000 students unaccounted for. Play clip two. What do you hear from teachers? Are they saying to you, we're missing kids? He should have been in my class. Where is he? He's not showing up. Do you hear that? Well, in here in Hillsborough County, we're missing 7,000 students. 7,000 kids didn't come back. 7,000. How does that 7,000 number compare to previous years? We've never had that happen. To have that many kids with a question mark next to their name, where do you begin? Well, every student attended some school last year, all 7,000 of them. So we start there. You know, what about their emergency contacts? You know, maybe grandma or grandpa is on the emergency card and grandma and grandpa can tell you where they are. You know, we find kids because another one went to a birthday party and they saw them. And so, yeah, they're still in Tampa. Okay, you know, we're energized to keep looking for that student. This is disastrous for kids. These school lockdowns or school shutdowns uh, and, and this remote learning thing is it doesn't work. It, it does not work. And especially for low income kids, kids who need additional assistance, uh, need more personal attention from teachers. This is pushing them so far behind at critical stages in their development. And we've we've already seen there is no argument here. There's no debate over whether kids are safe from covid in schools. The answer is yes. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying or an idiot. They're they're at no risk. And so, or I, you know, I say that, and yes, I mean, you're not at risk really of being struck by lightning when you walk out your house, but I mean, technically you are. It's like that for kids. If you're under 19, COVID is like lightning strike risk, okay? Are you never going to leave your house? Now, why are these school districts all shut down? Why is it that I can walk to a grocery store and see the same clerks, the same employees that I've seen for the entire outbreak? here in the entire uh, pandemic here in New York, but teachers can't show up to school. Too dangerous. Right? So many other people. I'm going into an office to do a TV show every day. People are showing up to offices, being around other people. It's happening, but teachers can't do it. Why? Oh, because the teachers unions. Because the teachers unions want to flex their muscle here. They want to make sure that their employees have the option to sit at home and basically play you know youtube videos for the kids not really do anything it's a great deal you get to stay at home you know you sit there in front of a screen for a little bit and then you you know you have to do anything i think it's fantastic for them it's not about the kids though it's not about them and i think you are seeing a surge of a bipartisan recognition here that kids suffer because of these teachers unions that that children suffer because of what's going on here and that's 
at least a recognition that should have been uh, a long. That's a recognition that's a long time in coming. And, and I wish everybody would really understand that this is just horrific what's going on here. It's wrong. It's selfish. And it's a lesson in why public sector unions are a terrible thing. They should not exist. In fact, that the origins of the union movements in this country, even I think it was FDR himself said that public sector unions, I mean, that's a terrible idea. Now you're going to have people that are supposed to be serving the public who are also forming unions to make sure that they can get paid more and do less at the public's expense all the time. And all you need is one political party, in this case, the Democrats, to feed at that trough. And it never goes away. It never goes away. So the teachers unions are shameful. That's that's not new. Um, And also our political class. Is utterly shameful Uh, back to Pelosi. Remember, she's been holding out here. She's been holding out for now going on months will not pass a covid relief bill, will not get people additional funds, will not get people the help that they need because she has in her head that there are demands that need to be met uh, for other things. And the GOP won't do it. So she's just holding the American people hostage. And then she turns around when she's not. Diving into her twenty five thousand dollar refrigerator to uh, eat some $12 a pint ice cream that's delivered to her house by workers who are, of course, at risk for COVID. I mean, she's not. She gets to just, you know, Queen Nancy gets to sit there and have everything brought to her. Uh, But here she is telling you that the GOP is the reason people are suffering. Play 17. Sadly, our traditional, some of the things that we do regularly, but especially at Thanksgiving, to minister to those who are food insecure and the rest, will not actually be possible Uh, But nonetheless, we must try. We are in a full-blown economic and health catastrophe. And it's amazing to see the patience the GOP has for other people's suffering. She's the one with the patience for suffering. She's the cause of of additional suffering now because she's not getting what she wants. You know, there was a 12-mile-long food line in Atlanta. Tyler Perry gave out 5,000 meals there was a 12 mile long of, of cars people waiting and it ran out in two hours uh, that's what's happening in the country while democrats are out there lecturing people about how they're not wearing they're not wearing masks people can't put food on the table they have no money and the response we get is somehow this is this is all trump's fault right that's the easiest thing for them to switch to which is what they do and they'll just continue on with this They'll continue on. Queen Pelosi doesn't care about the suffering. She's a Chardonnay socialist. It's all going to be fine for her either way. Do you think she looks worried? She's almost 80 years old. Do you think she's worried at all about COVID? Nah, she'll be all right. Trump had it better in three days. He's 73. What are we really waiting for here? What are we doing as a society? Well, some people view this crisis, as she rightly points out. It is a crisis. It's partially a health crisis. It's partially a government crisis because of what they're doing. But they view it all as an opportunity and they're trying to leverage it and use it to those ends and for those purposes. And we've let them get away with it far too much already. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
Oh, absolutely. And it's uh, it's been uh, organized and, and conducted with the help of Silicon Valley people, the, the big tech companies, the social media companies, and even the media companies. And I'm going to release the Kraken. That's Sidney Powell saying she's going to do it. She's going to do it. For those who don't catch the movie reference, play it, producer Mark. Release the Kraken. Kraken was a giant sea monster. If you ever saw the uh, the movie, uh, well, what's what's it called again? Um, about gods and something or other. It's a Greek god movie. I forget what it's called, but that was the Liam Neeson. That was the more recent remake of it. There's a 1981 version of it, too. But release the Kraken. And this was trending on social media for a while because it's a phrase that it's kind of fun. First of all, it's fun to say. And uh, second of all, it is. Oh, uh, well, what is what is the name of the movie? Producer Mark, do we know? I got to know this. It's from looking at looking at it. Hold on. Yeah. Well, anyway, that, that's what's in Clash of the Titans. There we go. Clash of the Titans. So Sidney Powell is basically saying that she's going to she's going to be dropping bombs here. That would be I it would be truly earth shattering. I mean, if, if what she says here is true, uh, then we need to get ready for. And, and I'm actually going to tell you this. I, I want we need to know it if it's true. The American people have a, have a right to know. And there's an obligation for us to know this truth. I'm just going to say this. If and I'm, I'm not even trying to give you the odds here of whether I think. But if this were to happen and Sidney Powell did release the Kraken, uh, this country would get very tense. You think the Democrats are annoying and totalitarian now. What do you think their response would be if and when we get to the point where they're told, you know, you actually we can prove it's one thing to think or to know in your heart that they cheated in the election. It's another thing if you have proof that a judge will not be able to ignore with the voting machines. Friends, this would be the biggest story. I mean, unless you had aliens landing or something and we discovered life from other planets. I mean, this would be the biggest story you could, you could have right now. I, I don't know. This is just, this would be crazy. And Sidney Powell, a lot of people really respect her. And I think she loves the country and I think she's, she's fighting for us and she's doing what she thinks is best here. So I, I want to see this play out. I don't, I don't see any reason to short circuit it i don't see any reason uh to uh, to smear her you know why why are people jumping to that right away that, that doesn't seem uh it doesn't seem like that's a fair approach now the trump campaign put out a statement and this is what's gotten a lot of people uh very well let's just say they're very quick to uh to say that Sidney powell is way off base here uh but they put out a statement that says that sydney powell is operating as a lawyer in her own capacity and is not a part of the trump campaign legal team sydney powell is practicing law on her own she's not a member of the trump legal team she is also not a lawyer for the president in her personal capacity that's what the statement says okay now it's fair to say what the heck is going on here. That seems a little bit strange, considering that she was a part. She was a part of that uh, Trump press conference last week, which I watched and then also went back and read through the, the, the transcript a couple of times. And 
they they clearly are separating this out so that there's going to be the Sidney Powell look in this investigation, and then there's going to be the Trump legal team specifically. Now, let's all remember that the Russia collusion hoax also involved multiple angles, and they never had any evidence of anything. But they were coming at Russia collusion from the possibility of, you know, WikiLeaks hacking and and the Kremlin working through Papadopoulos and Carter Page. And they had the FBI looking into this and they had media outlets that were pushing the narrative. The CIA, CIA director was involved, you know, so so they were coming at that from all these different angles. I, I don't see why we can't have a multi pronged investigation of voter fraud. I don't, what, what's the issue? What's the problem? There, there isn't one. Here's uh, Jenna Ellis of the Trump campaign. Play clip nine. And the common question that I've gotten since the press conference is why haven't you brought forth evidence? We have and we will in court. We have not yet had what the legal process calls an evidentiary hearing. That's where you go into court and you say, I have all of this evidence, Judge. Now let me bring forward the witnesses, the direct testimony of people who saw the events. They heard from election officials who told voters uh, who to vote for or who told them to manipulate ballots, all of those things. And also the circumstantial evidence, which is uh, all of these ballots being delivered late at night. Now, there was a decision from the Third uh, third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals uh, over the weekend on Sunday. And the judge, Matthew Brand, uh, wrote that they were asking for far too much and that the remedy effectively is far beyond uh, what they can prove. This has been my concern all along. I've been saying this to you. It's not just about what you can prove. It's about what a judge will be willing to do. And so here's the situation you have in Philadelphia. Even if you can prove from eyewitness affidavits, let's say, and you're going to need more than eyewitnesses. That's that's the reality here. A judge is it doesn't matter how many eyewitnesses say they saw something. They're going to need to prove it. And the Democrats set this up. I'm just telling you the truth. The Democrats set this up so that it's very hard to prove the fraud after it has occurred. That's why they wanted the mail in ballots this way. That's why they wanted it to be so wide open without the kinds of protections that you would need to ensure voter integrity. But even if you could prove that there were a few hundred or even a few thousand votes that were illegally counted as part of a, a an illicit process in the state of Pennsylvania, which is where we are in all this now. A judge is not going to say, well, then every vote that may have been counted using that process is going to get tossed out. And that's what they, I mean. They're asking for a huge number of ballots where they where they didn't either sequester them or where the postmarks. I'm going to forget what the what the specific flaw is. But they're asking for a huge number of ballots to get thrown out. And it's just not going to happen. Judge is not going to do it. Now, you could say the Supreme Court. And I know a lot of people have been saying, oh, well, now because this got looked at quickly, the Supreme Court will take this up. Really? You think Kavanaugh and John Roberts are going to have the backbone to do this where other federal judges have not? Again, I'm I'm just telling you what I think. I could be wrong. I think that I was very confident that Donald Trump was going to win the election. I was closer in the reality than pretty much all the pollsters were with my assessments and my analysis of it. But I didn't know that the Democrats mail in fraud thing would work so well or mail in 
you know, scheme, we could say, would work so well. So I, I couldn't account for that. That's just my way of saying I could be wrong here. It is It is possible that I could be getting this one wrong. But here's what I see right now. Even with the presentation of evidence, judges will always say better to have more votes counted than fewer. And so that means that the remedy that the Trump campaign is seeking here of we got to throw out, you know, 300,000 ballots here or a million ballots there or whatever it may be depends on the state. Judges are going to say, no, you have a guy that says he saw boxes, but only, you know, only 10 ballots that he actually saw change. But he had boxes and boxes coming out of a truck. I'm not going to throw out all the ballots out of the truck. You don't know. You don't know if those were valid or not. Right. That's going to be the excuse. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. I'm not telling. I, I think that that's I think it's wrong. I think it's sad what's happening here. It bothers me. But I, I always feel an obligation to tell you the, the, this audience that is so humbling and kind as to give me their time. I'll always tell you what I really think is happening. So I think you deserve that because I have respect for you. I have respect for the people who listen to this show. So that's what I see going on here. And I think that's going to be a very challenging uh, to get around. I think that's going to be a big issue. Whether Sidney Powell ends up with nothing, I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, how could I know at this point? She hasn't shown us the goods, but she says she's got them. We'll see. And I'm not I'm not judging her one way or the other until we see what she's got. As for the rest of the Trump legal team, I want them to turn over every rock. I want them to look in every crevice here. I want them to do everything they can, because really, in a sense, this is like a juice cleanse for our democracy here. Let, let's allow the cleansing process of the courts to play out. That's what I want to see happening. And I think that we're going through that now. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Facts do not care about your feelings. That's what conservative commentator Ben Shapiro famously said several years ago. And it's still true today. The facts are the facts. Biden's win is being certified. And there, Trump is wrong, by the way, to say that every Trump voter feels that this thing was rigged. Not every Trump voter does. But 77% of Americans who backed Trump did tell pollsters from Monmouth that they believe voter fraud tipped the scales for Biden. This conspiracy crap is just like Trump's anti-media enemy of the people smear. It's a slow-acting poison that is crippling the American body politic. Election denialism is like a middle finger to democracy. In the same way that Rich Lowry wrote that a, said that a vote for Trump was like a middle finger, a rude gesture to the left. Well, now I'm getting excited about it. <laughs> I mean, if it means that I can give a middle finger to folks like Stelter, sign me up. Uh, but let's let's hear from my friend uh, Harlan Hill. He's a GOP political consultant. He also is on the Trump campaign advisory board about what he thinks is going on here. Harlan, always good to have you. Well, it's great to be with you. Is there anybody more sanctimonious and insufferable as Brian Stelter at CNN? No, I mean, he keeps raising the bar for how obnoxious somebody in the mainstream media can be. I think it's <laughs> I think it's fantastic that we have we have the Brian Stelters of the world out there lecturing us on journalism and credibility uh and and speaking yeah, truth yeah. to power it's pretty hilarious so i'm glad that that cnn keeps in there although if zucker goes i believe that that stelter has his show because he kind of looks like zucker and so jeff sees in a little <laughs> stelter what it, you know so there's a little bit of that going on yeah, yeah um but i think he may he may be gone but let, let's let's get into the, the serious stuff here for a second about 
these legal challenges and what are you hearing from the campaign? How are we how are we doing with all this right now? I, I, there was there was a, a not a very good court decision for the campaign on the Third Circuit in Pennsylvania over the weekend. What do you see happening here? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say it's not a good decision, but at least it happened um, on an expedited schedule. Uh, I think that this was the anticipated outcome uh, based on on everything that I'm hearing out of the campaign. Uh, they knew that this would this would go this way. Um, and uh, listen, the president's not giving up. Uh, the votes have not been certified in all of the key states. Uh, there are going to be a, a series of legal challenges, and I think the plan is to, to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, I think that what the American people are rightfully starting to demand, though, is that the Trump campaign start to present all of these legal challenges, not in a press conference, but um, but actually through legal proceedings. Like, let's see, let's see some legal work actually start to come to fruition here. What do you make of the statement from the campaign about Sidney Powell, that she's a private lawyer and not a part of the campaign, and then Powell's mm-hmm. own response that she put out that she's just trying to get to the bottom of this for democracy and to save America. What, what's going on here? I actually think it's OK. I mean, I think it's a little overplayed. I mean, uh, there are obviously some tensions there and because just you know, two days prior, she was on stage with um, Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani, uh, seemingly as part of the team. But I, th- I think officially she really wasn't uh, integrated into the team, but that they were collaborating for the last two weeks and um, I anticipate that that is not going to change, really. Um, I think there still probably will be some some collaboration. You know, uh, Sidney Powell is moving more along uh, a, a, a criminal path, and the campaign is following a constitutional path. Um, you know, these things do not conflict, and I think that they can move forward in tandem. And, and her case could go well beyond uh, even the outcome of this election if it, if it doesn't uh, work in our favor. And I think that, that's a good role. I think that's a good place for Sidney Powell to be in, is to try to hold some people criminally uh, accountable uh, for any crimes that may have been committed across the country. So can you delve into this a little bit more? This is an interesting uh, separation that you're describing here between the constitutional yeah. challenges. So so that's that seems like it's more what the Trump legal team right now is focused on, effectively to say there's an equal protection yeah. violation when you have so, some counties in a state, for example, allowing the curing of ballots, allowing yeah. different processes that are going to include more votes in Democrat-leading precincts. Right? So those, there are those constitutional arguments. And uh, what Sidney Powell is talking about is, I mean, that's just straight-up voter fraud where people are getting paid money and changing votes, right? That's, that's what you mean by this difference? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So actually, um, you know, investigating the uh, relationships between elected officials and the election technology vendors, I'm talking about the, the voting machine vendors. Um, also, I think that she she's she's going to start to lay out this case based on what I've had. I had a conversation with somebody that, that works with her uh, just late late last night on this. Um, I, I don't think Sidney Powell is going to fall into the shadows here. Uh, I think she's just doubling down. And in many ways, I think it, it benefits the Trump campaign. Uh, to follow this 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 dual road strategy, um, so that she can act in, in more unilaterally and not encumbered by the campaign hierarchy that needs to be a little more conservative in its messaging, um, as it's representing the president personally. So I, I actually think this is a, this is a good thing for us. Honestly, I mean that, that's not a talking point. I think it's actually good that Sydney is is off the the, the tether and uh, and and can do what she thinks best advantages the the president and American democracy. We're speaking to Harlan Hill. He's a political strategist, consultant, and also an advisor uh, or on the advisory board of the Trump campaign. 
Uh, so Harlan, how do you see this now playing out? I mean, we have we've got this Pennsylvania certification. We've got uh, deadlines. We you know what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we got to be honest. I mean, our chances of winning here are in the single digits. I mean, the what the but I believe wholeheartedly that um, there was material um, industrial scale manipulation of the outcome of this election through a variety of means. Um, but that is a very difficult case to prove out um, in the short period of time that we have. And the problem is the way that, that this fraud was perpetuated, for instance, by um, uh, you know, taking ballots that shouldn't have been um, out of their secrecy envelope before uh, against court orders. You know, that's something that you can't you can't you can't undo once ballots once bad ballots have been commingled with good ballots there's no way of backing out what the results would have been so um the democrats did do a, an, an extremely effective job at uh rushing through the vote tally um even though they knew that some of the ballots that they were counting were not eligible um but you know we have to be honest about what our prospects are here it's 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 slim but what that means is that going forward in, in, in subsequent elections, there needs to be a wholesale overhaul, not from the federal level down, because I don't think that that's going to fix anything, having Washington dictate how we how we cast votes. I mean, it'll just be a, a mangled mess uh, that advantages the, the companies with the biggest lobbyists. But there need to be conversations in each of these states about how we rectify this, because if we lose faith in our, our democracies, especially now when we've lost faith in so many other institutions, that does not spell uh, well for for, for for the law and order in, on, on our streets. How are we looking in Georgia? I'm seeing some troubling news stories about the amount of effort that Democrats are putting into trying to, to, to turn those two seats yeah. blue, those two Senate seats. And I do have a concern here that Republicans are so fixed on the election outcome, which is obviously very important, the presidential election outcome, that maybe there's not necessarily the focus there needs to be on on making sure that those two Georgia Senate seats uh, go red, because, you know, if you do have a Biden administration, but you have a Republican Senate majority, we, we can weather that storm for two years pretty well. It's not going to be pleasant, but it's not if they take control of the Senate. I think, Harlan, you and I would have to agree. It's uh, it's bad news. It's Cash we got big problems. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be a repeat of the first two years of the Obama administration where we got, you know, Obamacare and a and a whole lot of uh, excess government spending and uh, an unchecked executive. Um, so, I mean, that that's what we're we're likely to get, I think. I mean, I'm not encouraged at all by the numbers that I'm seeing out of Georgia. And right now I'm talking about fundraising numbers. I mean, I talked to a lot of people that expected that there would be a lot more money flowing in. And there is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot of money. Um, but they thought there'd be more um, coming in to register voters, to run ads on television, uh, run direct mail, that sort of thing. And, and there are big numbers, but not as much as, as, as I, I think was anticipated. Uh, but listen, it's still early days. I mean, we, they don't cast uh, the final ballot until January 5th. Um, so I think a lot of people, at least in, in our world, in, in big donors, they've been tapped. They've been dry. They've been uh, drained dry over the last four years by the re-election effort and they're probably feeling a little bit of shock because the election hasn't turned out to uh, as positive as, as positively as we expected and so um 
you know, but, but do you know the this, Georgia teams, uh, Harlan? And I know you know this world and you've worked with a lot I of these do, people. I do do yeah, you know and, the Georgia actually, team? Are they pretty uh, good? The GOP drum. side? Yeah, no, they're, they're all very confident. I mean, the campaigns are very good. And there are a lot of outside packs that are, that are playing down there that are going to, that, that are, that are doing really good work. Actually, you know, we did a pack down there, uh, to help Leffler, um, at least get to this runoff. Um, but I'll say this, even if they, even if we do lose the Senate, in some ways, as we're looking to reignite the, the 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 fire within the conservative movement here to define what the future of the Republican Party is, letting Democrats run hog wild for two years, it will be a repeat of the Tea Party in in 2010. Um, but it, unlike then, we do still have a leader at large, um, and that will be President Trump. And I think that he will. Um, be extraordinarily effective at um, defining what the future of the party is and who, who, who the future leaders are. So I don't think all hope is lost, even if this doesn't work out. But I mean, every Republican that's that's you know living in adjoining states should be flooding Georgia on the weekends to go knock doors and make phone calls because um, it's critical. But you know, even if it doesn't work out, I think Democrats are, have always been remarkably effective at. Uh, wasting a really good opportunity. There's going to be so much infighting within them, within the party. You have people like AOC saying, "Look, we have full control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, Green New Deal, and all you know, all this just wild and crazy stuff that American voters did not. They're they're going to reject wholesale. So, um, you know, we'll make the best of the situation either way. All right, Harlan, Harlan Hill, everybody, political consultant and uh, advisor to the Trump campaign. Good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. How do we do everything possible to make sure that we become a vibrant democracy, that we do exactly the opposite of what Trump and his authoritarian friends want to do? And clearly some of the answers are that we have got to eliminate and end the Electoral College. Turns out that Joe Biden will end up receiving some six million more votes than Donald Trump. That's a lot of votes. And yet, if it weren't for a couple of hundred thousand voters in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Nevada, in Arizona, Trump would have won the presidency. That does not make any sense. If we believe in one person, one vote, we cannot continue a situation where a few hundred thousand votes in five or six states can determine who the next president is. It's a good thing Bernie Sanders is not teaching a class on constitutional law. Doesn't seem to understand the system of government that we have. And here he is talking about protecting our sacred democracy by dramatically altering the system that we have for the perpetuation of that democracy. And I know we're in a republic, not a democracy, but we have democratic processes. So that's what we're always talking about here. Get ready for it. This will be this will be the path forward. This will be the decision that they make if they get the opportunity. I was just speaking to uh, Harlan Hill about what happens if in Georgia we lose those two Senate seats. They will make these transformative decisions. Uh, they will go forward with the elimination of the filibuster They will go after the Electoral College. They will add D.C. and Puerto Rico for statehood, which means you've got uh, four more 
U.S. senators that would be in the mix. That would be from total Democrat strongholds. Now, I think there's a clear constitutional argument against D.C. becoming a state, even if they tried to make it a state. Uh, But Puerto Rico, it could happen. And this is the plan. This is what they're trying to do uh, so that this election and this is a little bit scary to think about or a little sad to think about. But the way that they change the rules in this election may allow them to change the rules in every election going forward. That's something we need to be aware of, that that is a realistic possibility um, trying to address everything that that's going on here right now. So I am uh, I am concerned about where we go, especially if the Democrats manage to take uh, take control here. Um, And I'm also concerned because you can see that there are Republicans who are already angling to be the leaders of a new post Trump Republican Party. It's already it's already happening. Um, Yeah, that's going on like you've got Chris Christie out there. Why does he think this is helpful? Play clip 10. The president has had an opportunity to access the courts. And I said to you, you know, George, starting at 2.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning, if you've got the evidence of fraud presented. And what's happened here is, quite frankly, the conduct of the president's legal team has been a national embarrassment. Sidney Powell accusing Governor Brian Kemp of a crime on television, yet being unwilling to go on TV um, and defend and lay out the evidence that she supposedly has. Um, This is outrageous conduct by any lawyer. And notice, George, they won't do it inside the courtroom. They allege fraud outside the courtroom, but when they go inside the courtroom, they don't plead fraud and they don't argue fraud. This is what I was concerned about at 2.30 in the morning on Wednesday night. Listen, I've been a supporter of the president's. I voted for him twice. But elections have consequences. And we cannot continue to act as if something happened here that didn't happen. You have an obligation to present the evidence. The evidence has not been presented. The evidence... No one says it has been presented yet. This is where I I get very uh, short tempered with the likes of Chris Christie and others. Uh, They're either going to have this evidence to present or not. Why are they saying it's a national embarrassment before uh, before Sidney Powell has done this in court? She she's pursuing different pathways. We've already talked about this, pursuing different pathways than some of the other that some of the Trump legal team, the official legal team of the campaign that are looking at the constitutional challenges to what what happened in this election that effectively the Democrats changed the rules so much that they knew there'd be rampant fraud and it would be very hard to prove. Well, Sidney Powell's going after this. She's the one, the only one who's been talking about Dominion voting machines and also uh, Smartmatic software. And she's either going to have the proof or not. So why get ahead of it? Why? Why? defamer she also said that general flynn was railroaded and people made fun of her for that and said she had no proof and she was 100 percent correct on that so i think she deserves the deference here to see let's see what she's got let's see what she has thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts well our plan is to be able to ship vaccines to the immunization sites within 24 hours from the approval. So I would expect maybe on day two after approval, on the 11th or on the 12th of December, hopefully 
the first people will be immunized across the United States, across all states, uh, in all the areas where this, the state departments of health will have t- told us where to deliver the vaccine. Could be as soon as the 11th or the 12th of December for the vaccine to start getting out there. And as I've been telling you, because I do look at the science and the data and what's really happening. If we get this vaccine out just to those at highest risk, if you deliver this vaccine to people who are in nursing homes and to seniors, you know, 65 and over with uh, particularly with any comorbidities, but just in general, if, if we get this to that segment of the population, you'll see fatalities from covid Thank God, I'm assuming I'm correct here, um, fall off a cliff. They'll just go way down because people who are 30 and 40 don't die from this. So them getting the vaccine is far less important in the early stages than getting it to those who who are at highest risk. And we're weeks away from this thing. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to let go the fact that the Biden and Harris uh, ticket were undermining and underplaying how incredible a feat this is. I mean, how amazing it is that here we are at this stage with a vaccine that could save so many lives, save so many people. And the speed of this has been absolutely incredible. And yes, the Trump administration deserves to take a real bow over this. The Trump administration deserves some credit here, regardless of what happens with this this uh, election counting issue, right? Ballot counting and the legal challenges and all the rest of that. Trump helped get us to this point. Big Pharma is also seeing a, you know, they're going to see a, a surge of support here for Big Pharma if this thing allows us to return to normal life. Think of what it will be like to be able to go to a, you know, go to your local cafe or a bar and not have a mask on. I have everyone so worried and sit down. I, I think people are going to break down in tears the first time they're able to do this again. You know, I think I think people are really they're going to be overcome with emotion. I mean, we are we are are getting so used to this bizarre and largely, you know, I think unnecessary in terms of the restrictions. But put that aside for a moment, this bizarre new life where human beings are treated like vectors of disease, where your loved ones are a threat to your health. This is it's horrible what's going on here. Terrible. And for those of us that live in reality, look, there are some people that even after the vaccines are in widespread distribution. I mean, I'm just telling you right now, I'm waiting for the day when after I'm going to get the vaccine as soon as I can. I mean, I know I'm not front of the line or anything and I don't I wouldn't expect to be, but I'll get the vaccine when I can. And I'm not wearing a mask anymore after I get the vaccine. It's not happening. And I know there are going to be people that are saying, oh, but but, you know, it'll make people more comfortable if no. It's, this isn't about someone's perception. This is supposed to be about science. This is supposed to be about facts. And it is, in, it is entirely acceptable for a 95% effective vaccine. Let's say I get the Pfizer one, whichever one's most effective. All right. If a vaccine's 95% effective, then people need to be comfortable with, I'm not giving them that disease. Okay. It's not happening. They don't need to worry about that. And, you know, in the one in a million chance that it happens, life's tough. Bad things happen. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know. We can't live our lives this way. But I I do think it's important that we all remember and we all recognize that we're getting really close. And I know it's been hard and it's being made harder right now because there's this uh, there's this sense of 
of panic from so many of the people who are in charge. There's this sense of if you don't listen to us, you're going to die. I mean, the governor of Jersey says this. Oh, you're, you're upset about us sending the police after you because you want to celebrate Thanksgiving? Well, you should be more upset if you die. That's the way that he speaks to all of us. I mean, you don't live in New Jersey necessarily, but that's the way that he publicly talks about this issue. And he's not the only governor that feels that way. This is what they do. This is the governors wielding their power in ways that would have been unimaginable not long ago. And now we're told that this is just somehow normal. We will get through this, but I think you should be prepared for the fight that will come even after the vaccines are distributed. But we'll talk we'll talk more about that later. In the meantime, I'm just trying to take a moment with all of you to say we are going to get our lives back. It is going to happen. And we are going to have society and social life and interaction back. And it will be it will feel, I would assume, something like it would feel after, you know, when a country's been at war for a long time. And and I'm not talking about the soldiers now. They have a whole other sense of what war really is. But I mean, for the, the people back home, you know, the, the relief that they feel when that war ends and, and their loved ones come home. And right now, Trump calls it a, you know, the invisible enemy. But as as a society, America has been at war with this virus in, in many ways. And when it ends, I mean, I, I just hope that there's real jubilation on the streets. Part of me is a little sad to know that even though even though the vaccine is coming, there's not going to be the same dancing in the streets on vaccine distribution day one that there was when Joe Biden was declared the winner. And that's that's kind of sad. It's a little pathetic, but that's where we are as a country that for Democrats, Joe Biden winning is more important than the vaccine. Uh, and look, that's a prediction. Maybe maybe they'll be dancing in the streets and everyone playing music and having a great time, which is what I saw in New York when they called it for Biden. Um, I doubt it, though. I doubt it. In fact, I think there are going to be a lot of people that fall into this posture of, oh, well, now you have to be more careful than ever because you don't want to be the last person to die in the covid war, so to speak. Right. You don't want to be the last person to get this and die before the vaccine gets to everybody. So there is going to be this anxiety pushing in the other direction. But it's remarkable when I sit here and think about what we've what we've been through as a country and how earlier this year. I went from somebody who was in New York City going to events, speaking to, I mean, I, I spoke to the you know, New York Young Republicans in, I don't know what it was, uh, maybe November, I think, of 2019. There were 250 people in the room, you know, sitting, packed in like sardines in chairs. I mean, and that's, I know people give speeches for thousands of people, but I'm just saying that was, for me, that was how we, I, went, I was going into 2020 that was life, right? Going into bars, people's you know, going to restaurants. I mean, I'm a guy I like to get out and, and be around and I enjoy. It. That's why it's worth it to be in New York City. The crowdedness, the density gives you these options. The density is the reason for all the frenetic energy and everything else. And that density became the enemy during COVID. And this was true in a lot of places where all of a sudden a lot of human beings, those of you who live in more rural areas or just less crowded parts of the country, know that it was a huge advantage during COVID. Huge, huge advantage. You know, all of a sudden, and if you had your own, you know, a lot of your own food supply nearby and your own well water and you, you were in even better shape, right? I mean, if you could avoid people all together for a while, that was considered the best possible scenario. Uh, but the vaccines are the cavalry in this battle and, and they are coming over the ridgeline. They are, they are going to be uh, making this whole thing 
a very, uh, very tragic nightmare, I think, that we will emerge from. But it's going to be quite a day. So keep that in mind. I, I thought we would have reached it. You know, I thought we'd get through the virus sooner. Um, but a lot of people were wrong about many different stages of this. Uh, I, I figured we would emerge with therapeutics even by last summer that would be able to really knock this thing out. But it looks like the vaccine is going to be what what's the real game changer here. And that's um, fantastic. And so I, I know that there's a lot right now that's that's stressful. We still have we've got these lockdowns and I'm very angry about them. And I think people are going to suffer and the vaccines are not. It's not like day one. It's all over. But it's the. It's the beginning of the end of the covid mania. And then the fight becomes, is that end once we get to vaccine distribution day one is the end of this three months away or nine months away? And this is where the discussions about lockdowns and acceptable risk and all this, that's where that comes in. Uh, because I think there are a lot of people, unfortunately, who are extreme lockdowners and who believe so much in all this that what they're going to try to do is is say that until it's what Nancy Pelosi said. I talked about the, about this early in the show until everyone is safe. No one is safe until every person in this country has no chance of getting this virus. No one's allowed to live normally again. There will be that mentality. And we're going to have to fight back against that. We're going to have to push very hard to prevent that from becoming the dominant narrative, because I I think there are a lot of people who will want it to be just that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Ah, yes, the New York Times refers to him as President-elect Biden. It's not yet true that he's president-elect. The states have not certified Electoral College has not passed on its votes, but uh, they're calling him that. But I just bring it up because he's already picked his uh, his secretary of state, Antony Blinken. And I got to tell you, uh, this is this is troubling. This is troubling because it's showing us a return to these these people with with all of these credentials. It's a lot of credentials and institutions. And and the credentials are just the names of institutions and spending time at them in places and not really a focus on results, underlying philosophy, who this person is in terms of what they've done. It's always where they've been, who they worked for or with or you know, this guy Blinken was now, look, I know that we it, it, we may not even get to this point, but they're already making moves. So we should talk about the moves, because no matter what, it's a reminder of what Trump is a departure from. Trump has been a departure from this false sense of international consensus and these globalist norms that if you disagree with, you're considered less sophisticated. You're considered less, uh, you know, less enlightened on these issues. You know, for example, uh, it, it was an international, a kind of globalist internationalist consensus that if you wanted to achieve any peace in the Middle East, you had to do something first with the Palestinians and the Israelis. And that that was without that, you couldn't do anything. That wasn't true, as we see from this administration. It's just not true. But if you went against that until now, you were just considered ignorant. You were considered somebody who didn't understand things. You know, this guy Blinken was deputy national secure uh, deputy secretary of state uh under 
Obama to John Kerry. I mean, John Kerry's another he's a perfect example of this. A deeply unimpressive individual who, you know what, he went to I guess he went to Yale or something. And then he uh, we all know about his military service in Vietnam. And then he married a couple of rich ladies and ran for Senate. And it's just been in the Senate forever. And so we're supposed to think this guy has some ability or some leadership or knowledge that's really worthwhile. And I just sit here and say, nah, no, John Kerry's a he's very similar to Joe Biden, that he's a a an intense mediocrity. I mean, he, he is like the distillation of the mediocre is what you get with a John Kerry, with a with a Joe Biden. Nothing special or or uh, or impressive about them. Um uh, but Blinken, you know, he went to like Harvard and he's a lawyer. You always got to remember so many lawyers in national security, people that have never had to be around or understand what it means to get to, to be near the implementation of these orders. They've never been handed a rifle and told you're going to now go out and hopefully you don't get shot at. And if you do, you got to shoot back. They've never they've never been through that process. A lot of lawyers get to very senior positions in national security. Now, I know there are lawyers who also have military service and stuff, but I'm talking about the ones that end up making these decisions. True under the Bush administration, true under the Obama administration. You you had national security advisors. You look at their background and say, this person's just been like a corporate lawyer who did some, maybe did some time at DOJ or something, and now there's some grand national security strategist. So Blinken would be be the, the pick. And he's very tied in. I think his wife is a journo. And you know, there's, there's all this. The swamp is coming back is what I'm trying to say. The swamp is coming back if you have a Biden administration. And you'll see it in, in all kinds of ways. Blinken was the architect in many ways of the Obama administration's response on Syria. Uh, Syria, as you remember from the Obama administration years, was an abject disaster, a humanitarian catastrophe. 500,000 people, it is believed, at least lost their lives in that conflict. Half a million killed. And what did the Obama administration manage? I remember when they spent, uh, what was it, $500 million to train what ended up being seven soldiers for the Free Syrian Army, something like that. So it was a, a total fail. Obama leadership and Blinken now people forget that or that's not part of the official narrative. So the fact that he was a senior Obama administration foreign policy official during that spearheading that it's not just like he was at the State Department. He was involved in the Syria policy for the Obama administration. Total disaster. And they're going to bring him in now, make him secretary of state. Because ultimately, the people who get these jobs, it's based on their connections and what they do for the people in positions of power what their relationships are like to those individuals and what their implicit promise is for those people if they're in this position of authority again. It's not about the results for the American people. We know that. Because if it were, you wouldn't have this guy Blinken talked about as a secretary of state. They're talking about bringing back Susan Rice in a very senior capacity as well. I mean, there's going to be a lot of Obama administration uh, you know, round two here or round three, I suppose you could say, with who are going to be in senior positions of authority. And, and that's really bothersome because we're, I can tell you this right now, we're not going to be able to count on the left. We're not going to be able to count on the libs out there uh, who are anti-war to be anti-war during a, during a Biden administration. They'll, they'll abandon the whole anti-war thing as long as there's a Democrat in office because ultimately the left uses anti-war posturing as a weapon against Republicans and conservatives. That's really what it is. 
So that's well, that's a concern that I have about Blinken. And and you also are going to have a return to this internationalist consensus stuff with climate and other issues, as you know. Here's Trump. You know, he's doing this virtual G20, and they're all saying that he's actually out playing golf or something, and they're all angry at him. But, you know, it's like, who cares? But, oh, no, he missed, he missed a, an important lecture virtually at the G20. I mean, what a nonsense. But Trump spoke on the Paris Climate Accord. Here's what he said. Play four. I withdrew the United States from the unfair and one-sided Paris Climate Accord, a very unfair act for the United States. The Paris Accord was not designed to save the environment. It was designed to kill the American economy. I refuse to surrender millions of American jobs and send trillions of American dollars to the world's worst polluters and environmental offenders. And that's what would have happened. Since withdrawing from the Paris Accord, the United States has reduced carbon emissions more than any nation anywhere in the world. Our air is 7% cleaner than when I took office. At the same time, we've made America energy independent. Bolstered by our historic tax and regulatory cuts, the United States is now the number one producer of oil and natural gas in the world. Results, data, fact. These all look very good when Trump lays them out on climate, that the air is, we're actually making the air cleaner and producing more energy than ever before. You don't hear, you don't hear that in the mainstream media, do you? No, it's all, he pulled out of the climate accord in Paris and so the world is going to melt and we're all going to die. They're, they're just nuts. Religious zealots on climate. That's what Democrats have turned into. It's both troubling and sad. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Roll call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us. And uh, you can also send us direct messages on Instagram. Remember, I'm on Parlor Buck Sexton. And you can check out our stories at BuckSexton.com. But yes, I am on Parlor and I am uh, on, uh, as of now, TikTok. That's right. China. Collecting all of my data on TikTok. I'm not worried about that. Didn't they sell it to an American company or they're about to? It's fine. TikTok is fun. Check it out. No, Buck, don't do it. The Chinese are spying on you. Yeah, maybe. But have you seen the way they cook these steaks on TikTok and they show you the best way to do it? Producer Mark, it looks delicious. It does. Steak TikTok is a very fun thing. Steak TikTok is just cooking TikTok in general is great. Uh, But I, I like I like the TikTok. What other TikTok is producer Mark into? I love anything with dogs. Those yeah. are fantastic. Dogs and food are the big two things. Yeah. There's a there's a beaver, a pet beaver that somebody has that's become a TikTok sensation. And I got to tell you, now I kind of want a pet beaver. They're so cute. Manhattan apartment? They'd be perfect. This is a, this is a little fat little dude. He's fine. He's just going to hang out. Want his belly scratch? Want to gnaw on some wood? You know, yeah. When he starts gnawing on your uh, kitchen table, I don't think you're going to be very happy. That's not as good. I I agree with that. And I I wonder, do I have to get him a little kiddie pool? You know, 
Yeah, I they, think they, they like, like wetness. Swim. Yeah, they like to be. Uh, they like to be in the water. So I maybe that might be. But I think this beaver just like hangs. Is I'm not. People are thinking I'm crazy right now. It's like a a sensation. Millions and millions of views of this of this pet beaver on TikTok. So I'm not the only one who thinks he's cute. Yeah, so most people it. prefer their beavers to be moist. Um, that that is true. That is true, producer Mark. All right, and oh, and also, did you see the video of the uh, the guy in Florida who saves the puppy from the alligator? It's amazing. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, crazy, right? So, first of all, uh, I mean, the puppy was fine apparently. It, 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 it so the the alligator was small. It was a little, like a tiny alligator, maybe maybe two or three feet long, but it grabbed this tiny puppy that could have been older than a couple of months, and it dragged in the water. Is clearly going to eat it, and. This guy with a cigar in his mouth jumps in the water, grabs the alligator, frees the puppy from the alligator, and keeps the cigar in his mouth the whole time. Florida man, sometimes you impress me. It was pretty amazing. He is the new Florida man. Like, that's yeah. it. He's the, that he's was, the goat. That was next, because he kept the cigar in his mouth the whole time, too. He didn't let that Cohiba fall. And and it's, it's uh, pretty remarkable. But, yeah, I mean... I, I, I would look, I'll tell you this right now. I know it's if if uh, God forbid she's never even been in a place where alligators exist. But if an alligator grabbed my little Tulu, I'd get in that water and I would gouge that thing's eyes out with my thumbs until it let go of my my beloved Frenchie. So I told total respect for this guy. Total respect. That's the move. So, you know, this is another thing, though. Got to be careful with the puppies near alligator ponds. Producer Mark, one thing about Florida there are alligators. Yeah, that is a problem, especially for your small animals that you keep yeah. as pets. Yeah, so, you know, I you know, they don't have I don't think that maybe no, they don't have alligators in Texas. Maybe they do in like the far eastern part of Texas, you know, close to uh, uh you know, the Louisiana and Mississippi that area, you know, maybe, but uh I don't think so. I don't think I don't, do they have gators anywhere? In, do they have gators in Texas? Uh, I don't know about Texas. I feel like Louisiana, Mississippi oh, that for area. Sure, Louisiana, yeah. Mississippi, yeah. Live in Texas. This is an interesting. You know question. what? I'm finding it, center. on the West Coast. You have in the desert. You have to watch out for coyotes with your dogs. I've seen people have to put these like spiky things on them to make them look like Sonic the Hedgehog that deters the coyotes from going after dogs. Really, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, there are alligators in Texas. I, it's, I thought they would be along the east, but that's that's right. Um, there are they are found in 120 of 254 counties in Texas, according to this Texas website that I see here. So yeah, there are there are alligators. Um, yeah, there you go. Learn something new. But they, and it's where I thought they're in the eastern part of the state, uh, closer to the uh, to the Gulf. So there you, there you go. Learn something new every day. All right, let's get to uh, to roll call. Oh, and I, but the, one more thing. I finished uh, Barbarians over the weekend. Have you tried any new shows, producer Mark? I haven't. I did watch the uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion show, which How was, was very well done. Really? It was a little sad at points because James Avery, Uncle Phil, has passed away. Uh, but it was the 30-year anniversary. They brought back all the old characters. It was really interesting and fun. Is that on Netflix? I it's on uh, HBO Max. Oh, okay. Uh, I love that show. I used to watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air all the time. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the best 90s sitcoms there was. I think that's fair. Uh, not quite Seinfeld level, though, right, producer? Uh, no, not, not, a, not in the Seinfeld level, but up there. Pretty good. All right, let's get to a roll call. We got Joe first up. Good evening, gentlemen. 
Producer Mark is spot on about bidets. He's super smart. You want to take a little bow, Producer Mark? I am super smart. I agree. Yeah. They make a simple attachment that can attach under the seat in a matter of minutes. And trust me, once you go bidet, there's no other way. Um, interesting. I was not aware of that. But, uh, oh, oh, here you go. Please continue with the outstanding show as I listen while working. And if I didn't, it would be a very dreary existence. So thanks for doing what you guys do. Shields high. Well, Joe, man, we are honored to keep you company while you are engaged in labor and getting paid for it because capitalism is good. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of what we do here and right again. We appreciate it. Michael, your call on COVID is exactly the same as mine, but with a lot more detail and thoughtful considerations. I consider Maryland to be a step below New York. But our Republican governor, a rhino that loves media gratification, has threatened to arrest Marylanders on one hand while signing an order to release people serving sentences for fear of COVID. Schools are also shutting down. Also been told at work to stay downstairs for fear I will kill them from a person that had COVID. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's nuts. I, uh, Maryland's pretty strict about it from what I understand. So there are a lot of states now that have just they've they've embraced Unfortunately, they've embraced, you know, the extreme positions on this that are just not supported by the data. They're just not. It's not worth it. But people are doing it anyway. Uh, Claire. Hey, Buck. I just watched your interview with Jim Jordan regarding Giuliani Powell presser press conference. Powell made a statement near the end that's gotten almost no coverage. She implicated both Democrats and Republicans in this scandal. I don't think she was implicating Republicans in the 2020 election. She might have been. She was very direct in her belief that people from both parties had used Smartmatic software, whether in Dominion or other EMS machines, to secure elections. Uh, yeah, Claire, I, I think that uh, she did. I, I remember what you're talking about. She did say that. And this just brings me back to she's making very bold accusations here. This is big stuff. And... She's either going to have the proof in court or not. And we've just got to see. There's no there's no rushing it. There's no jumping to conclusions about it. We'll, we'll see. She's either going to have it or not. And we'll all be able to see for ourselves. You don't need me to tell you. I mean, it's either going to be there or it's not going to be there. Right. So we'll all see it together. And that's where I am on this one. Um, but think about that, though. I mean, if, if it is as easy as people are saying to mess with and hack this software, that's something that we should all be aware of for elections going forward, regardless of what happened in this election. And I know that uh, Dominion had a spokesperson, did an interview, I think, on Fox over the weekend. He says their computers are air-gapped and there's no way any of this could happen. And now that's, for one, what you would expect the Dominion guy to say. But beyond that, let's find out what's true. I really do want to know what the truth is. I want to know what happened and, and what the risks are in all of this, I, I don't want this to continue to be. I don't want people to say it's a conspiracy theory and all this other stuff. So I think it's important. Uh, Terry, watching your show from November 19th about the lockdowns and fighting back. I couldn't agree more that all this crap is bull. It's hard to believe this is happening in America. When I go out, I generally don't wear a mask and avoid stores that insist on it. However, I have to wear it to keep my job and it infuriates me, but I need my job. What are people to do when that's the case? I personally believe no mandated precautions should be implemented. Back to normal now. Let people mingle. Let the chips fall where they may. Anyone living in fear, make your own choices. Um, 
Terry, I, this is you know what I always say when people ask about uh, what to do in college, like when I have college students who write into me and they say, hey, Buck, should I take a big stand in my sociology class in my paper for conservatism? And I say, no, don't do that because it doesn't help. You're just going to get dinged by your professor. You're just going to get a, you know, a C minus on your paper. And when you go to apply for jobs or for business school or whatever, or, you know, grad school, you're going to have gotten a bad grade in this class, or at least maybe, you know, a worse grade than you would have gotten. And for what? Because you wanted to show one lib that you won't bend the knee when you're in his class. You're in his class. You're in his world in terms of these, these uh, papers that you're writing. So, you know, I wouldn't write things that you're, that you're ashamed of or embarrassed of, but, you know, you play the game a little bit. Because that's the smarter move. This is a, a version of my don't charge the machine gun nest without a plan to take it. Or don't just don't get mowed down because you think you're being a hero when you have no chance of, of success. You know, you fight when you can win. So when you say that you pick stores, for example, where they don't mandate masks, you know, that's that's you taking an active role in trying to fight back against the insanity. But when you say that you want to keep your job and so you're going to wear a mask because your job requires requires it. Yeah, that's the right move. You know, don't don't suffer. Look, I I was in my building in New York. I live in a large apartment building with hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, I was one of I was told by the building staff all summer. I was one of two people in the whole building who never wore a mask in like uh, now. When I say never, I mean walking through the lobby and stuff. If I was going to be stuck with somebody in an enclosed space for a while, um, you know, in, in the gym, I've always worn a mask. I mean, you know, just because I'm, I'm more willing to concede, at least if you're going to be indoors for more than 15 minutes with somebody. All right. Maybe it makes them feel better. Maybe it has some minimal benefit. I, I doubt it. But walking through a lobby to get from the elevator to the outdoors for 10 seconds. No, that's crazy that there's no reason to wear a mask doing that. And uh, I was one of two people in my building over the summer. Now people saw me and all, and they all complained. And technically the building has since said that it's a violation, uh, a violation of building policy. And, you know, they could even move theoretically to an eviction proceeding against you. If you continue to violate building policy in this way, so what, what's, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it and get kicked out of where I live. <laughs> what's the, what's the point, right? I mean, that's, so that's not smart, but do I wear a mask outside? No, I do not. And if people come up to me and they try to tell me to wear a mask outside, do I, uh, do I comply? No, I do not. And if the police were going to try to ticket me or something, we would have a respectful but firm conversation about why they're doing this and I would want their names and badge numbers. I wouldn't file a formal complaint against them, but I would want to have all my documents lined up so that I could take this and fight it if I need to, because I would fight that. Uh, right. So it's, a, it's picking your battles here. I think, uh, Terry, that's the best way that I can think of with this. It, it's pick your battles and, and don't, don't needlessly punish yourself uh, by fighting a by fighting a fight you can't win. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Next up, we got Susan who writes, "Can you please address as an ex CIA person where is our intelligence community with all this election fraud? They seem MIA." Uh, Susan. When you say where is our intelligence community, the intelligence community 
overwhelmingly focuses on foreign and uh, military intelligence stuff. But it's, you know, if you're talking about the CIA, which is where I work and what I know best, that's overseas intel collection. So the FBI is a part of the intelligence community. So really, we, we would only be focused here on where's the FBI with this election fraud issue. Now, the attorney general, Bill Barr, has said that if there's a real reason to investigate election fraud, that that you know, the uh, U.S. attorneys and various federal prosecutors and federal investigators have his support to go do that. We haven't seen yet any major action based on any of that. We haven't seen it yet. So that's where I mean, but no, the CIA doesn't have any. I mean, they shouldn't have any role in this. I know that Sidney Powell is making some pretty, pretty severe allegations here. Uh, but yeah, no, the Intel community has got, has got really nothing on this and you don't, you don't want the intelligence community to get involved because then you have things like Russia collusion, right? That was the intelligence community going beyond its mandate to get involved in something that really was just about people being bitter that Hillary Clinton lost the election and pretending that there was some, you know, imminent intelligence reason you know, the FISA stuff on uh, Carter Page. I mean, all, all that was just absurd. It was nonsense. Sarah, hey, Buck, my head wants to explode every time I think of a President Biden. But more importantly, I'm heartsick about election fraud going unchecked. America is better than that. I know there are many ways to cheat the system and there's no panacea for fixing it. However, I believe it would help if each state held its election, gathered all the ballots, closed the polls, tallied the votes, and certified its election prior to making the results public. This business of watching the polls on election night to determine how many votes need to be guaranteed, uh, need to be generated, rather, after the fact is awful. Oh, and if there is proof of voter fraud, throw the book at them. Don't prosecute only if the outcome would be affected. Slapping wrists is not a deterrent. Keep up the good work in the Freedom Hut. Live, love in the show. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, look, a lot of people are very upset about the real possibility here of widespread election fraud. And and we, we know there was people who are honest. We even say we know there was fraud. The question is, how much fraud and can we prove it? Um, that's what remains. And we know there were irregularities as well. And those same questions would it would um, apply to that. But it's uh, friends, we're in this fight. We can win this fight, so it doesn't fall into the why are we fighting? There's no point. We can win this fight about the election, but it's going to be hard and the odds are not on our side. But that doesn't mean we give up the fight. You know, what we do, friends, we keep on going, searching for demanding the truth and we keep our shields high.